listening to Good Lad Unscripted with your host. <laughs> Welcome to Good Lad and Scripted, the podcast. I'm Terry Goodlad. Today's show is brought to you by Code4News.net and TheFirearmGuy.com. I've got a very, very interesting friend. This is a church buddy of mine, okay? Jimmy Tunstall. You know, Jimmy's just your average church-going guy, family man, father, grandfather, man about the town. Uh, but Jimmy has also got a background serving his country in the U.S. Army. But it's not just another service, was it, Jimmy? No, not normal. Not normal at all. Okay, now, uh, just to get some background for everybody, um, you were Special Forces? Yes. Okay, you, you did 20 years in the Army? And four days. And four days. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the four days. Uh just want to go back. I mean, you and I, I got into police work in 1979. You got into the military in 1982. So we kind of, you know, lived through the, you know, worked through the same kind of periods of time. But of course, I was in a very different place than you were. Uh, if you were to characterize your whole career, uh, now I know now uh, special forces, it's basically, you know, when, once you're training, you're an operator, you're, you're being deployed a great deal. Is that right? Yeah. Now, in your time, uh, and of course, we'll get into more details, but uh, out, of, out of the 20 years you served the, your country, how much of that time did you spend in a base here stateside, and how much time did you spend overseas? Uh, 14 and a half years overseas. Oh, my gosh. And then the rest of it was here, training, you know, leadership development, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So let's go back and talk about 1982 when you went in. First of all, why did you choose the Army? <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. Uh, you weren't one of those guys that had a choice. You weren't standing in a courtroom and had a choice. Right? Uh, pretty close. Yeah. But uh, I, I, um, I went to backing up a little bit before that. I, I, I you know, I grew up uh, in a small town in Southern New Jersey, you know, a farming community pretty much. And uh, I, you know, we, I have three brothers and my father and my mom. Um, she's not really a woman, though. It's my mom. It's different. It's, uh, but, it, it, you know, we lived in that, that kind of lifestyle where, you know, you, my dad kept us in sports our whole life. You know, it, it was three seasons, you know, football season, wrestling season, and baseball season, <laughs> or track. And uh, so it was always something. And then when I was there, my father had this mindset that, um, you know, if I keep them busy, they can't get in trouble. Right. So he would constantly have us do stuff like, uh, you know, one summer, it took us almost a whole summer to, to hand dig the stump of this oak tree out of our backyard, but it kept us busy and kept us out of trouble. <laughs> so, I mean, it was that, it was, it was that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, hard work was normal. Uh, discipline was normal. Um, you found just a second now. You found no way to drum up any mischief with your brother that whole summer. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, sure, for sure, <laughs> but not not in the sense that nothing to put people, anybody in hospital. No, um, well, I, my brother. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I, he stole my bike when I went to wrestling camp, and I came back from wrestling camp, and I found out he stole a bike that I worked in a peach plant for two months for, and my dad, you know told me he stole the bike. And then a couple of days later, he got mad at me, threw a coffee cup at me across the kitchen. And then I beat him up and put all his teeth through the side of his cheek. And then he ended up in the hospital. That was that summer. But 
that's a whole other story. That's that, you know I could probably do a whole thing on just my <laughs> just family, on that summer my upliving my my upbringing with my father and them, but no, but I you know so that was the kind of the mindset. So we I went to uh, Temple University on a full wrestling scholarship. Oh wow! Uh, but I always had a problem from a young age. Uh, Fourteen, thirteen, I think was the first time I ever smoked dope, and uh, and it just got progressively worse from there. And then, uh, but I still was able to play sports. I was still able. I think my parents were really naive because I never got in trouble, never had problems with people. Um, you know, I just never, never had any of that. Uh, so I was a, a hidden drug addict, you know what I mean? Right. And um, I didn't get into like shooting up drugs or smoking drugs, but I did snort a lot of meth and, and, and uh, smoked a lot of weed. And so um, went through school and they kept me, they kept me going in school because I was good at sports. So was, as long as I was good at sports, you know, you pass, right? So that's how it was, you know, back in our day. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I, I went to college to Temple University on a wrestling scholarship and towards the end of the first semester, they kicked me out of school for stripping on a table at a party. Well, that's kind of excessive, wasn't it? Uh, it was fun at the time. <laughs> no, I mean the kicking you out. <laughs> uh, you know, back then, you know, we had a morality rule on our wrestling oh, gotcha. team, and you signed. A I form. thought maybe you're just a bad dancer. That, that too. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all disappointed, so disappointed yeah. that they kicked me yeah, out. Let's get rid of this guy. <laughs> we got to get somebody better. <laughs> yeah, if he's going to get naked, he's got to be better than that. Uh, um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, then. Uh, I went to work uh, making fiberglass in a factory mm -hmm. and um, we had the swing shift. You know, long story short, we were in a, a five day break and I was awake for four of the five days on meth and I walked past the recruiting station. And My this, goodness. this crusty old guy was like, hey, drinking a cup of coffee, smoking a cigarette in a military uniform. Hey, you uh, ever think about joining the army? I said, no. He said, come on, let's talk. I'll give you some coffee. He gave me a coffee, gave me a cigarette. We sat down, we talked for a while. And, you know, about four hours later, after being away for four days, I was in Philadelphia taking an ASVAB test. You gotta be kidding no. me. <laughs> yeah, that's how. And then I came back and uh, they said, oh, well you scored high enough that you gotta go talk to the Navy. And I went and talked to the guy next door at the Navy, and he said, "Hey, you, you know, you scored high enough to go to sub training." And I said, "Man, if it's uh, no, that's not going to happen." <laughs> you know, I, I get seasick staring at the ocean, you know, yeah. kind of thing. I, no, that's not no. So then I went back to the Army, and they they signed me up to be a, a twelve Bravo combat engineer. And so, uh, what does the twelve Bravo do? Um, you know, all the engineering stuff that you see, like uh, you know the. Uh, building fortifications, uh, you know, uh, defensive perimeters, uh, minefields, laying mines, uh, disarming mines, uh, explosives, that kind of stuff. No, I understand now, Jimmy, that when you go into the military, you can choose special forces right off the bat. Is that correct? Uh, Did, again, now, I, like I was telling you earlier, I, I, I've been out of the army for as long as I was in now. Right. And, and but when I was in, no. Um, and I don't think they're going to let you go straight in. You've got to show some kind of aptitude. There's no way they're taking some kid off the street and putting him in selection. No. Because there's no, because I, we could talk about that more a little bit later, but it, it no. It's too much. <laughs> there's no way. If they do, man, these, okay, let me, let me back up and go with, I own a business and I deal with these kids every day and 
Not no, but hell no. <laughs> okay. They're not doing that. So you got in, uh, now you got in, that was 1982 you got in. Is that correct? Yeah. That's when you went in. Mm -hmm. And so you were 12 Bravo. Yep. And then how long did you do that? And uh, I did it all the way up. Uh, my father died suddenly in 1985. Uh, and so uh, my brother covered for me. He was a CB at the time. He, and he covered for me for a little bit, and then I got out to, to help my mom for about six months, knowing when I got out. That, I mean, my father was the kind of guy my mom didn't know how to write a check. Oh, right. She didn't know how to balance a checkbook, pay bills. He took care of everything for her. She took care of us, and that was kind of, you know, we didn't have a lot of material things, but we had everything else in abundance at my house. I mean, the love, the you know, the, the, the caring, you know. Although my father had studied to be a pastor when he was younger and then left the church. But since he worked night shifts, the only time he'd get alone with my mom is when he'd send us to church in the morning. And a funny story, he, <laughs> he, he, he would send us to this Baptist church in town, and the bus driver would uh, pick us up last and drop us off first. <laughs> The four of us. He was paying the bus driver. No, it was like, no, the bus driver wanted to get us in as little time as possible. We would take people's breakfast on the, on the bus going to church. You know, give me that donut, you know, kind of thing. And, and so that, that I remember that. And, and, and fast forward, uh, I got to speak at my, that, at that church later after being saved, you know, fast forward a long time later. And I get in there and I, and I get ready to speak at a service and, and I look up and there's the bus driver. No. Uh-huh. And, and, and the first thing I had to do was apologize to him. <laughs> you know, because now my older brother and myself were saved and my other two brothers, uh, they don't serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, okay. sooner or later. So you went back uh, six months, got your mom sorted out. Yep. And then you went back in the military? Right. And then they sent me to Germany and... Uh, The army, in uh, regular army in Germany, sucked, man. It was horrible. It was constant drilling. It was just nonstop. Uh, you know, this guy, uh, this colonel that uh, was our battalion commander, um, was just—I don't know, man. He, he it was. They would do these uh, recalls of all hour, and they sometimes there were weeks where we got recalled every day. Oh my gosh! You know, because he could and. Uh, it was just horrible. So we're sitting there, and then I, I got a I got a call from the battalion sergeant major saying, "Hey, uh, there's these guys here, and you have to report to the education center." And I go to the education center, and it wasn't I wasn't asked if I wanted to go there. It was like you're going to go to this thing, and you gotta you know at least go. And I, okay, so I went. And that's when they showed us the video, you know, the hoorah video of special forces, of the guys jumping out of airplanes, scuba diving, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and they said, hey, if, uh, you know, you've, you've scored high enough in your ratings, you've scored high enough, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you want to go, you can go to selection. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll try it. Why not, you know? At uh, that time I was married, had uh, uh, two kids at the time. So I was married with two daughter, two daughters, and uh, and uh, said uh, my wife was Panamanian. My first duty station uh, was in Panama, 
So that was my first three and a half years in the army. I was in Panama. I met my ex-wife there, and uh, that's where I learned how to speak Spanish. She didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish. We figured it out. Got to figure that out in a hurry. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, fast forward to Bamberg, send you to selection for three weeks. Went to selection, got selected, and, and went to school. For What's that process look like? Selection? Yeah, um, three weeks. That's That's... Okay, so, you know, quantifying, right? They always say that. Uh, Sounds like a disqualification, not a selection. Um, it's, it's, I think that the military's mindset was at the time, probably still is today, it makes sense, right, is that, uh, you know, you have physical attributes that they're trying to put to the test, and then you have mental attributes that they're trying to put to the test. And sometimes they come together. And so... Uh, they took us out to a place uh, for three weeks and just ran us through the ringer. The, the whole purpose was to make you quit physically. And uh, they did uh, back up. They, they gave you, they sent you a, a packet in the mail back before emails, right? So, you know, I get a big yellow manila envelope with a packet and it had this three-month training regimen that they suggested that you do before you go to selection. And um, you got there and uh, it started out with a PT test and a swim test and all the stuff that's supposed to keep you safe and went through all that. And then they put you on a bus and took you out to the middle of nowhere in North Carolina and said, hey, here you are. And then we went and it was like uh, just constant walking. I think that... um, it was some. It was hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of walking. Like really, yeah. Everything that you did, you walked. You walked, and you always carried a hundred pound rucksack and your weapon. And they would just do weird stuff, like say, "Okay, we want you to go from here to here." They'd give you a grid point on a map. You'd plot it, and they said, "Take the roads." You take the roads which was harder because it was sand, right? And you'd walk in the cross country would have been easier. And then they'd give each person a five-gallon jug full of, two five-gallon jugs full of water and say, okay, take these with you. You can't tie them to your rucksack. You can't attach them to your body in any way, shape, or form. You got to carry them. You got to carry them like this, <clears throat> wow. hands down. And you just keep walking. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that they did. And I mean, I remember about halfway through, uh, we were on one MRE a day, which is about 2,000 calories a day. You were probably burning a lot more, five to 6,000 yeah. calories a day or if not more. Because they would do the stupid sleep deprivation. You know, as it comes to me, I'm coming back. Right, 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 right. They would do the stupid sleep deprivation thing. They would mm-hmm. put us in these cabins that had these bunks, these old World War II bunks in them. And they'd sit you on the edge of the bunk, no mattresses, no nothing, sit you on the edge of the bunk, and then close the windows, crank the heat up, and say, don't go to sleep. And you'd sit on the edge of your bunk with your hands on your knees, and you'd sit there, and you'd hear guys fall, hit the floor, <laughs> you know? Or you'd see uh, an instructor come through the door with a with, and with night vision devices on, telling a guy, number 285, we, you know, you were sleeping, you know? And then uh, the worst part of the whole thing was after about day three or four, you, you didn't even remember what day it was. They, every time somebody quit or got dropped for whatever reason, they'd play that stupid ballad of the Green Beret over the intercom system. 
And man, and, and the guys, and most of the guys, you know, the guys, the hoorah, hoorah guys that were like Ranger Battalion guys and that kind of stuff that didn't make it. Not everybody made it the first time. Some some guys, I can't believe, some, some guys went through selection three, four times to get wow. to a team. You know? Wow. Like I was like, if I don't make this, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving it one shot and I'm done. And I, luckily I, I made it through. What was the hardest day? The hardest thing? The hardest thing? Your mind. Really? Yeah. You, you never knew what was what next, you know. Uh, okay, here's a good example. Uh, halfway through, we got we came back into where they had like this compound, and we go to this compound, and uh, they tell us we could take shower. So now you've been nine or ten days. Not uncommon for anybody that did regular you know combat arm stuff. You take a week, two weeks without a shower, but they let us take these hot showers. And you came out of the shower, they had these tables lined up, and they had T rats. I don't know if you remember if you know what T rats are. They're like. Uh, the Sam's Club version of sea rations. Okay. Just bigger, and then you get a plate instead of eating out of a can. Gotcha. And it's warmed up, and but it's food, and you're looking at it. And I seen, like, got, we were we were crying, man, like like food, like real food, and crying, eating this food. And, and then um, and then they just start, like, literally right away, start again. Like, let's go get in the classroom, you know. Plot so it feels this. like it's over, and then you yeah. got to start all over again. Hand you two or three map sheets and say, okay, here's your you know, you're going to start here and go this sheet, that sheet to that sheet over there, you know, and everything was alone. I mean, they did do some stuff that was team oriented, uh, very guarded, weird stuff like three tires on a Jeep and a bunch of poles and some straps and get the Jeep from here to there, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but most of the stuff was alone. Uh, all the land nav was unknown, uh, that kind of stuff. I didn't, I mean, it was fun. It was like when I was a kid going in the woods, right? Uh, you know, there was a lot of guys that were, you could tell were city guys, they were afraid of the dark and, you know, they were having a hard time. Um, but yeah, and it, it went on for three weeks, but the whole thing was there, the very last thing they did is they started us out at a certain point and they said, okay, we want you to start walking that way. And they handed us a map uh, and they handed us an MRE and they said, put this MRE in your rucksack and don't eat it unless you're told to. So you just put it in your rucksack and that was it. And then you start walking. And, and along the way, I don't know I don't know how far it was. I don't even know today. But you, you walk and it's a street and you got, uh, you know, for safety, they had these chem lights on you and stuff like that. You're, you're walking down the street and, and uh, in the middle of nowhere. Any of you guys that went through this with me <laughs> or knows what I'm talking about, you'll, you'll remember. You'd walk up and in the complete dark, it would be an instructor. And he'd be in a lawn chair with a cooler. He's like, ah, you just missed the truck. Just keep going that way. Oh, no. And this would happen and you'd go all, and, and you would walk. We, we started out at like, before midnight, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night. And uh, it was, the sun was way up nine, 10 hours later when we got there. You know what I mean? Like it was full blown mid morning. You would show up at this water towers and they had two trucks. They had two deuce and a half there. And they, they said, okay, the sergeant major in charge of the school was there. And he, he'd say, okay, give me your map. You gave him your map. And he'd drop it in this pile. He said, give me your MRE. And he'd look at your MRE. And I, you know, like the guy right in front of me, his was open. He said, you get on that truck. I handed him my MRE. It wasn't open. He said, you get on that truck. And then we never saw the guys on that truck again. 
on the other truck. That was it? That was it. They were done. Wow. But it was so bad. I remember when I came back, the, the instructor told me that night, you know, you have to go back, refit, clean your gear, get everything ready. Uh, they're going to tell you tomorrow who got selected or not. Right? So we clean all our gear and everything. And then I remember literally, uh, he told me the story the next day. I don't even remember it. That I woke up in the middle of the night, put all my gear on, ran all the way down to the cadre shack, was standing there for like an hour behind my rucksack. And then he came out and said, what are you doing? And I said, we were told that there's a formation now. And he said, he picked up my rucksack and he walked me back and put me back in bed. <laughs> you don't remember I it? I don't remember it. Oh my God. Uh, so you dreamt you had, Yeah. oh my gosh. So that's kind of what it was. But then you got selected uh, and, or you didn't, you yeah. know. And uh, obviously you got selected. I got selected. And then all that did was say, okay, um, you could uh, go to the qualification course now. Now it starts. Yeah. So now here we go. So uh, for me, there was another step because I wasn't at that time, I wasn't even jump qualified. So mm -hmm. I had to go to jump school and then go to go to selection. And um, don't get mad at it, man. It's just a phone. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> And so did you have to, uh, was jump school must have been a, a bit of a break after three weeks of that. Yeah, it was pretty easy. Okay. Now, what after after jump school? Went back uh, to the Q course in Fort Bragg and um, started the process. And went through phases, all three phases. And uh, got, I was the uh, honor graduate for uh, the engineers. So that was pretty fun. Didn't mean anything. It got me, you, you know, it, it, uh, it, it helped me. Uh, I got, uh, it got me to seventh group, I think. And that's where I wanted to go. Cause, okay. You know, what was seventh group? Uh, Central South America. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's what I wanted. I hate the cold, man. Even though I'm getting ready to move to the cold. I, you know, my wife thinks snow is cool, but she's never seen it. Yeah. You no. know, she doesn't know. I was born and raised in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's why I'm in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> that ain't happening. Yeah. I'd pick Panama too. We're, we're talking North Carolina. Yeah. That's, that's as cold as I'm I'd getting. rather get shot than freeze to death. Yeah, I really me too. would. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I got to say though, I mean, the coldest I've ever been in my life was in the Amazon rainforest. Really? Oh yeah. By far the coldest. Because you're walking through there, man, and it's in the middle of the summer. And, and you're just wet. And you're wet and it's hot humid hot like hot crazy hot man i mean you know 110 115 degrees 120 degrees and you're hot 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 and then all of a sudden 6 6 30 man you know the sun goes down boom you know mm -hmm. you're, you're still moving a little bit but now they want to stop and refit and you go from 115 120 degrees down to you know 70 75 degrees it's cold yeah it's freaking cold well it's relative right yeah i mean and, and you just drop you know what 45, 50 degrees yep. in a couple hours. Yep. I was when we were shivering. I mean, it sounds funny saying it, but I remember, you know, living in Las Vegas and it was dead of summer and uh, a friend picked us up in, in his little private plane and we went to Tahoe, right? Mm. Tahoe was like 68 at night, 72 during the daytime. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to die. I got sick. Because really? I was, well, yeah, I was used to, I was used to 115, 
or so in Vegas, yeah. and all of a sudden we're there, and it's like and you know dry. 68 degrees at night, yeah. and, and I actually got a cold. We did. My wife and I. <clears> but went. I thought I was dying. I thought it was so cold. I remember we went to uh, uh, Lake Tahoe. Never been there. We went a couple years ago. We went to San, Sacramento, and then mm-hmm. we drove out to, to Tahoe. Yeah. And I wanted. To, they said that if you want to see one of the prettiest sites, they have this. Uh, it's called uh, Bear Creek Lake. Have you? you did you? No, know I've that? never been. So I guess the Corps of Engineers cut these things. You know. So we we're like, okay. And I, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, they said they just go down this path. And I'm thinking like, you know, like a state park here, you know, go down a path a mile or two and you're there, you know. <clears throat> and so we just took off walking mm-hmm. up this thing in Tahoe, right? Where, and uh, we were just walking and walking and walking. Okay. No water, no nothing. Oh, no. Because I thought, oh, it's going to be right here. It's not going to be that bad, right? So four and a half hours later, we get back to the car. With no water, climbing this mountain, coming back down. It was beautiful, though. Yeah. But that's the first time my wife had ever seen snow. And uh, the first time that we'd ever seen uh, an eagle, like, in, in that environment. It's yeah, cool. it's beautiful. <clears throat> now, once you, once you, just so I can understand, so you do, you do selection, mm-hmm. and then you go and you start your training. How long until you're actually a fully qualified operator and actually go down? Um, down uh, range? Let me see if I can remember correctly. After selection, after jump school, I want to say it was eight months for me. Okay, and then you're out there and you're in the field as an operator. Well, they put you on a team, and then that's a whole nother. What's you that know, like? What's the first day like on the team? Because you get out, get out there with guys, salty guys that have been on there for a while, right? And you're the new guy. Yeah, but, you know. Is there a hazing? No. No? No. I didn't get any hazing. I, was, I wasn't a little guy, though. Yeah. But little guys on our team, they no, nah, there was never any hazing. A guy came in, he made it this far. Hell, man, you know, you're here. Okay. They would try to outrun you. They would, you know, that kind of stupid stuff. But nothing like you would say, like. Yeah stupid hazing no no because somebody would you'd beat each other to death before you take hazing for somebody <laughs> yeah i suppose right that's, yeah so yeah they kind of recognize that no when you got there it was more it was it was all business you know it was uh you know they were nice and everything but it was like okay this is your job this is what you do and 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 i think uh, the culture shock for me was uh there was no the political side didn't exist what do you mean by that? Uh, you know, like in the regular army, you had the political side. So, you know, you might not have been the best engineer in the world, but if you sucked up to the platoon sergeant, then you, you know, right. it, it meant something to, to the platoon sergeant that you were his suck up. But there it was all about, can you do what's your job? Do your job. Are you the best at your job? Or are you not the best at your job? Right. Can you take care of the guy on your right and your left? Or do you not take care of the guy on your right and left? You know, it's all about business. You know, they, they didn't really care if my hair touched my ears a little bit or if I didn't shave completely this morning or if I didn't freaking yeah. iron my uniform or shine my <laughs> boots till you could see my teeth in it, you know, that, that wasn't it. This was about, uh, you know, being an operator. Yeah. Can you do your job? Yeah. And so that's, that's what it was about. And so it, that, that was, that was eye opening to me because yeah. it, you could kind of let your guard down in the sense that you weren't worried that everybody was trying to uh, find your faults. You know, the, I, I think, you know, from what I learned anyway, it was better uh, to have your faults revealed to your guys on your team because mm-hmm. then they could help you fix it and they could make you better so that it wasn't so detrimental to everybody else too. Do you find that that experience, like I look back at my time on SWAT and, uh, you know, police work was one thing, but my time on SWAT 
was the stuff that sticks with me now in business, especially in business and dealing with others. Do you find that that uh, had an impact on how you do business as a businessman? Now you're a very successful businessman. So I think, I think, um, that, uh, taught me how to, uh, not to look at everything for what the problem is, but to look at everything to find a solution with the idea of finding a solution to the problem. That's what we always did after debriefs. It wasn't yeah. what we did wrong or who did what wrong. There's no finger pointing, right. but it's what can we do better? Two things, what worked and why, and then what can we do better? Yeah, that's yeah. same thing after action reports. Yeah, we would do yeah. the same thing. Yeah, they, and, unless you had a... Uh, Accidental discharge. Yeah. <laughs> Negligent. <laughs> yeah, that was your fault. <laughs> yeah. um, but other than that, um, yeah, it was, it was all, and, and, and I still go about that. I think I, I you know, I still do that today in our company, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I'm always looking at people for not um, how good or bad they are, mm -hmm. but how capable are they? And not only are they like capable in a whole, but, where are they capable and where are they not? So I know how to work with them. That's kind of how. So speaking of specialties, going back into your own career, what were your specialties? Um, explosives were, you know, uh, improvised explosives was a thing. Um, and uh, I did uh, a little bit of time in, in a uh, tier two environment. Mm -hmm. um, so we went to school for that. Counterterrorism and and uh, CQB, uh, that kind of stuff. But um, and then we also had to do, you know, we we had uh, mandatory cross training, certain things, you know, like blood didn't bother me, still doesn't bother me today. You know, part of my company is, you know, we go clean up after people died and right. that kind of stuff. But um, it's uh, so you know, I didn't mind doing the helping the medics doing medical stuff doing IVs uh, we all had to you had to be able to self ID uh, IV you know okay so for me I always went for the ankle right but um, self IV that artery down there yeah it's yeah. easy to hit you yeah know? or uh, that was the first time I ever saw that was actually a homicide victim he was he he died on the operating table but I, we went in but they did a, they because he was a drug user an IV drug user they couldn't use his arms so they went to the ankle yeah I went to the ankle yeah. and it was slick and they were in like nobody's yeah. business and yeah the uh, I, I think we you know we learned in the Falcons too you know that the, the best way I mean the fastest and the you know, probably not the most efficient use of supplies uh, but uh, in a pinch you know you can just run that tube up somebody's backside and step on the bag you know, get it in their colon. Their colon really absorbs liquid oh, quickly. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's like, you know, if a guy's really, really bleeding out, you know, you can you can get a couple bags in him real quick. Fluid. Yeah, through the through the colon. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. They learned that in the Falklands. See, I never heard of that before. I'm saying we learn something every day, I guess. I don't think I'd want to try it on you, Jimmy. I mean, I'll... <laughs> No, just, my, my, you probably wouldn't have as much fight left in you. Just make, make sure I didn't have any rice and beans last night. Yeah. 
So with your specialty, uh, how do you work on a team? Like again, in SWAT, you know, you've got basically an entry team. You've got your snipers, sniper observers, your perimeter guys are generally your junior guys. Your more senior capable guys are your entry guys. It's close quarters battle, QCB. It, it depends on what you're doing, right? So for us, it's... Uh, your CQB. So if we did CQB, uh, then, you know, wherever you fell in the stack, you fell in the stack. Everybody yeah. knew how to make door charges and window charges and... You know, maybe if they wanted to, well, no, everybody knew like all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so if you were uh, on a team going out to do some, uh, you know, force multiplication stuff or, you know, where you were training other people how to be soldiers, you know, then it would be assigned, usually assigned to you with a little bit of prep time ahead of time, get some classes together, get your stuff together to teach that, that's one of the big things that people don't know about special forces. You know, let me, can I just say something to all absolutely these, all the young people out there? Yes. Okay, that watch all these movies and can't wait to go become a Navy SEAL or a special <laughs> forces guy, a Green Beret. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm gonna just forewarned as for as foretold, right? Be prepared to be bored out of your mind. Really? Oh yeah, man. Because you'll train and practice what you do, your art. And you can go years without ever making contact. Hopefully, you'll go your whole career without making contact. That's the idea, small unit tactics. Wow. And that's where people forget. Mm -hmm. You still got to know how to do it and be able to do it, but your whole function is to not have to do it. Right. Makes sense. You know, so that's, you know, so these guys think that they're going to jump off the bus, go to school, and then jump right into a firefight. Didn't happen. No. <laughs> You know, it was, it wasn't that way. Yeah. But I, I remember asking this guy who was, uh, uh, one of the first men that I met and, um, uh, he was in Sogvi. Mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam? I, yeah. When mm -hmm. I got in and he was on our team and, uh, I remember we were training we were doing all this stuff and my head was like ready to explode. I just got on a team because they, they had a saying on the teams, right? Like you went to school and you did good. Great. Right. But that was a controlled environment and nobody was going to die. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you're not there anymore. Right. So now you're going to train with us. Gotcha. Because here we die. Right. So that was the mindset. So I remember I went to this guy and I said to him, I, I don't want to use his name or his rank, but yeah, I said, how, how are you supposed to remember all this? It's just so much stuff trying to, you know, remember grid coordinates and radio frequencies for what days at what time and, you know, all this stuff, you know, and you're like, how are you going to remember all this? You know, he snickered and laughed, looked at me and he laughed. He says, man, let me tell you something. The first time you hear that first crack go over your head, you'll remember every bit of training you ever had since you've been <laughs> in the army. Really? Yeah. Wow. And he was right. Really? Yeah. Okay. He was right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. I think that's the magic of training is, you know, like I hated when I got on SWAT, I hated training. Like it was just so tedious and it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. It just seems so pointless until I went on my first call and then I couldn't wait to train after that. And then I just, I couldn't get enough training after that. You know, it's funny because you had options though. Yeah. That's all we did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was day in, day out. Just train, 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 train. 
Break contact. Take 2,486. Break contact. <laughs> Take 2,487, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that was, you know. But those reps like that, that repetition, it helps keep you focused and in the muscle game memory, and thinking. Right? Yeah. It's all about yeah. muscle memory, right? Yeah. It's, um, you don't even think anymore, Yeah, to be honest with you. You just do it. You, the, the, you asked me what it was like when you first got on there. That was, the, that, that was where the hard part was because you're getting on a team that's, you know, got at least, you know, three quarters of it been together for five, ten years. Gotcha. And so you get on the team with these guys and, you know, just flows. they know how many sheets of toilet paper that guy uses when he wipes his butt. But, you know, right. you're there and you're new and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And, now, uh, when you got, when, once you got in there, how much, where were you at in your career? How many years did you have left? Um. So that would have been 87. So I was in for six years. Okay. So now when you, when did you wrap it up? When did you retire? Oh, two. So is that when you did, were you with them the whole time? No, not the whole time. I went, uh, from, uh, 87 to 97. What ten, made, I did 10 years on a team. What, what made you get out? Um, my ex-wife said she's going to leave me if I didn't stop. <sighs> So she left me anyway. So she left you anyway. For all you's out there, if she's yeah. gonna leave you, she's gonna leave you, man. That's <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Did she? Now, now. To be fair, though, I mean, you said you were deployed a lot, right? Yeah. So now, how long was your average stretch? Average deployment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, average deployment. Four to six months at a time. Okay. But then you could come back for forty-five days and go again for four to six months. Oh my gosh! You know, so that's kind of how it worked. So I guess if you want to be married and still know this person, you kind of. Got to go. Got to go. Yeah, I wanted to make it go for it. So, and it wasn't it wasn't easy, man. Did you regret it? Um, do you feel like you, you missed know something? I don't I don't do regret. Yeah, you I feel just, like you missed something or no? You, no, I no. no. You know, I believe God. Now, you know, I believe God has a will, a purpose for everything that I yeah. do. So, I don't, I don't, I don't think of it that way. I, I look, um, but that was getting out because it's a fraternity, it's a brotherhood. You know, and you walk in and tell the guy you want to terminate your status. Man. You look at you like there's something wrong with you. Nah, man. Wellscombe sits higher on the chain than you do. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, went, it was bad. I, I went back and I, I went uh, back to the engineers, but the only engineers they had, I was stationed in Panama at the time. The only engineers that they had there was a, a construction tank. Oh, no. So, you know, I... I was uh, a fish out of water when I got there because this was like one of those, you know, I was like, I like it was like, dude, you know, you're back in the regular army and uh, everybody, you know, they had all their rules and regulations and I hadn't marched a person in, you know, 11, 12 years. What was your rank then? Uh, I was an E7 then. Okay. Uh, Sergeant first class. And then... Um, now that battalion commander that we had there, it was hard, hard working uh, at, the, at that engineer battalion, but he, uh, he was fair. Okay. He ended up becoming, a, I wanna say a three-star general or something. When I worked with him, he was a lieutenant colonel, uh, but he ended up becoming a three-star general. That was during the whole Cuban- Missile crisis? No, the Cuban, uh, not missile crisis. That's oh yeah, that would take- 
wrong, wrong, wrong decades. Uh, diapers then. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, it was the, when the Cubans were coming over to Miami and they were trying, they were right. coming everywhere and they were yeah. trying to, so we were building camps for them and doing all this stuff. And so they put me in the operations office and just let me run with it, you know, do you know, they'd give me stuff to do and I'd do it. I, I think they saw a whole different mindset that I had. Again, I wasn't out there looking for everybody's problems and everybody, what they were doing wrong. I was looking like, how do we solve this stuff? Right. And then we went to uh, El Salvador for a nation building thing, which I, I think that's like the greatest oxymoron in the world is that you got a military that could destroy anything. And then you'd say, we're going to do nation building. Yeah. We're not building no nations. We're, no, don't get into my politics. <laughs> <laughs> and we went there and he put me in he put he made me the liaison for the whole group at the uh, at, at the embassy in San Salvador and so um, speaking Spanish probably didn't hurt no it didn't hurt at all yeah. it helped a lot so you found God in 84 you said yeah that's interesting you know again ex-wife right mm -hmm. so she thought oh well, if we go we gotta go to church you know Mm -hmm. And I, I told you I knew a little bit about church, but not anything like that. So she said, "You go. We got to go to church. We got to go to church." So for the longest time, starting in like '84, um, right before my dad died in '85, at, for about a year, I would go to church with her on Sunday just to get her to shut up. <laughs> you know, and that's you know, just to get her to shut up and leave me alone. Let's just go to church. Mm -hmm. They would keep us from arguing for a day. Okay. And so we went to church. And then finally, uh, like in, in right after my dad passed and I went to Germany, I had a few months in Germany alone before my family could come over. And, and that like opened my eyes. I, I did get baptized. I got saved, but I didn't understand really what being saved was uh, in 84 when I started going to church with her, got baptized in the Panama Canal um, in 84. Um, but you know, some things I excel at, man, and some things I'm very slow. And my, my Christian walk was a slow walk, man. Mm -hmm. Slow, long walk for me. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't become St. Augustine too, you know. And uh, I, because, you know, I'm a visual learner. Mm -hmm. You know, and so if, uh, you know, I got to see it. You know, you can tell me that you heal 800 people, but till I tell you, see you heal a person, mm -hmm. put your hands on them and they get healed by the power of God. I'm going to question it. Okay. That's just how I am. That's mm -hmm. my thing. You know, not that I, you know, I'm not going to do it disrespectfully and I'm not going to disrespect you for it, but in my heart, show me. Yeah. You know, because that, and that comes back to the whole special forces thing, you know, are you competent or not competent? Right. And so that's kind of where I'm at. So, you know, I, I, I like uh, reading. I love reading. I love, uh, you know, another point we were talking about, you know, training. I ended up getting three college degrees while I was in the Army. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What are your degrees in? I have a, a degree in business. I have a degree in the Bible. And I, and I have a master's degree in leadership. Oh, my gosh. And uh, through night school, except for, I, I finished my master's, I have to say, I finished my master's when I got out of the Army. I finished it then, right, but right after I got out. Uh, and used my GI Bill to finish that. But, um, so, uh, you know, 
I'm constantly wanting to learn, constantly wanting to read, constantly. It's just, I think that if it ain't no motion, it's dead. So your mind is the most important thing. Right. Um, and so when I got saved, you know, I, I still, I still live my Christian walk like that. You know, I meet a guy or I read a guy or I see a guy at a convention or, you know, a preacher comes in to preach at the church and he tells me, you know, he tells everybody in the church he can do all this, he's done all this. Or they thought, first of all, if a guy's always pointing at himself, I'm done with him. Because mm-hmm. I want to know the God that you serve, not you. Right. You know, and I'm never going to get to know you anyway. So tell me about God. Right. Interesting. Yep. You know, well, that comes from Pastor Paul Keeter from Cumberland, North Carolina. Okay. You know, he was an evangelist at 13. Oh my gosh! You know, and uh, it was the church I went to when I was in group when I was stationed at Bragg, and uh, a couple of things that he taught me. He, he he taught me one thing. He says if a man says I more than twice, then he's probably stuck on himself more than God. And then the other thing that he taught me was he said Satan can only ride you, man, if you leave that saddle on your back. So take it off. The other thing that he taught me because I had a very hard time in the beginning of my Christian walk. How do I do this? And be a Christian. And, and do this, you mean yeah, serve your military and special right. forces? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he said to me, he says, you won't understand this. I'm going to tell you right now, but I'm going to tell you. You will someday. I do today. He says, but God knew exactly who he was calling when you got saved. He knew, not only did he know who you were when you got saved, he knew who you were going to be 20 years after you got saved. So the best piece of advice I can be you is always be you, but with being God-centric. And so you know me at church. You've seen mm-hmm. me at church. You yep. see that, I, you know, I'm, uh, what you see is what you get. Yep. You know, and um, I don't do the politics. I don't do church politics. I don't do U.S. politics. I don't do politics. I don't believe in politics. I think it's a joke. You know, you know the the Bible says that we're, you know, supposed to love our brothers as ourselves. I don't want nobody politicking me. Mm-hmm. I have employees that try to politic. You know, and if as soon as I notice, or my wife, if my wife comes and tells me, or my, or if I notice it, I'm calling you in the office and tell you that don't fly here. You've done that with your employees. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's the result? Um, some of them just take and say, okay, that's how it is here. Some quit right away. And that's okay. okay. That's wow. okay. You don't have to work for me. Yeah. I'm more concerned about your proficiency. That's what I tell them. I don't, I'm, I'm not nasty and, you know, I'm not begrading. I, I never begrade. I never do anything personal. Yeah. You know, but I, I tell them all, I tell them, I said, listen, man, if you, you know, like I just had a guy and he, and, you know, he had all the right answers, you know. But then the documentation and the job results didn't add up to what he said. And I told him, I said, I don't care what you say. You know, you can suck up to me and give me every right answer and tell me that when I fart, man, they want to bottle it for perfume, but it ain't going to work. I know who I am, and I see who you are. Now, I can work with you. We can work together on this. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can go. And he left. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. There you go. You know, kid had potential. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll just tell you this thing. I'm, a, I'm like uber conservative in my beliefs. Right. 
I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm conservative. And you're going to have a hard time around me if you're a liberal. Yeah. Unless you can fact me out. If you can mm-hmm. fact me out, I'll listen. I have a very liberal daughter. <laughs> How does that go? Uh, well, my wife says, I wish you guys wouldn't argue all the time. But we're not arguing. <laughs> it's debate. You know, she's 38 years old. I'm not arguing with a 38-year-old. Yeah. We're talking, yeah. you know. You said, you guys can't even go on a car ride together without getting an argument about something, you know. <laughs> you know her, her, her stance is this, is that I'm too bombastic okay. in my beliefs. That's, that's where she stands. That's like her number one thing. I love her to death, Steffi. I love you, girl. You know, but it's, uh, I don't understand, you know, if you believe something, how you can't be bombastic about it. That's interesting. Because if you don't believe, if you believe it, it is what it is. You might I not be right. And you should be able to be able to see things, how people say stuff and, and, and look at it. Were you always like that or, or did uh, serving the things you didn't no, see, did my, that change your philosophy? No, my whole life. life I've been like that. My father was like that. We were like that in our, in our household. Gotcha. You know, so you... Did it get amplified through your service? Um, I, I think it, it, it let it blossom. Yeah. You know, I think it was probably always there. You know, my father was always saying, say what you mean, mean what you say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always easy to tell the truth all the time, no matter how much it hurts, because you don't but have to worry about what you said. Would you agree that, uh, you know, when, when we're young, lots of times, not always the case, but when we're young, we have lots of theory and lots of ideals. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then you go through life and you experience things firsthand, you know, uh, and then and then you have these very, very... Um, formative experiences uh, and you, and when you have some of those experiences yes you're with other people when you do them but you really process them on your own mm-hmm. and it's a very very different process I find as a Christian but prior to being a Christian that process was a very solitary process and you come away from that with um, less ideals and a little bit more definite about what you believe would you agree? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, but I, I like I, I don't I don't I don't care to argue with anybody about my beliefs. I don't care to argue. Right. Why go out and have some experiences and then let's talk? <laughs> right? Why? I, I, I was going to say that I uh, I even find that out as I'm old. You know, I think yeah. I think if you if you if you keep if you keep your mind open, right doesn't matter what you go into. You're going into it. Like, you know that I, I want to start a, uh, a YouTube page. We right. were talking about that earlier. Yep. So I want to do that someday. Now, I'm reading books. I'm watching. I'm reading what I can find online. I'm talking to people that have, that have tried it or done it or whatever, if I can. I'm putting all this stuff together, and, and I'm formulating an idea of what I think it's going to be, right? But now, after I've opened two other businesses, lived life to, to 61, uh, done all the things that I've done, I know that when I get there, it's going to be a whole lot different right? than what I think it is going to right. be and what it's going to take and all that other kind of thing. But I do know this, that if no matter what you do, um, I, I need, you know, the, the, the Bible talks about that, uh, that the three chords can't be broken. Right. And for me, uh, I have three chords that I, I, I live by in my life. Um, 
And some people look at me and say, oh, well, you're this big guy, you know, with the sleeve tattoo and you got all this stuff and, you know, you're, you're all your back history and, you know, you're pretty straightforward and you're no nonsense and all that kind of stuff, right? Why you, why you call your wife all the time and talk to her? Why do you, you know, you, you getting her approval? I says, no. I said, when I make a decision, I'm only making half the decision because the Bible says that she's my other half. She has kept me out of the fire a number of times because I would listen to what she has to say. So I have me, my wife, and God. And I don't make a move until I get a green light from all three. And that's how I live my life now. And that's for the simplest of things, man. You know? No, and that's a, that I, I'm... 10,000% with you. That's been the game changer for me. And and there was a time when um, I felt that, <clears throat> you know, that was weakness to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. But it's not. It's true strength. Yeah. It's true strength. First of all, nobody knows me better than my wife, other mm-hmm. than God. Right. Right. And so that's the thing. And she knows my weaknesses and loves me in spite of them. And uh, she also knows my strengths and loves me, you know, whether I have those strengths or not, she still loves me. She just loves me. Not as much as God does. Right. But the thing of it is, is that she knows what I'm capable of. Even when I, I might doubt myself, she'll go, no, you can do that. This over here though, get help with that. Yeah. You know? And so she'll be just dead honest with me. And it's not ever to break me down. It's always to build me up and get me going. And the thing of it is, is she's also praying, mm-hmm. you know, and God's talking to her as well. Yeah, so, my wife has this thing that she says, you know, if I get upset, I'm, it's it's funny because it, it's it's true and I, I again I'm a fact based guy right so I'm like hey you know I'll say something to her I'm I'm I've had people look at us when I talk to my wife and and she understands me and she understands what I mean by what I say she knows the love of, I mean like I have a a principle one of my life principles right if if, if my wife has no doubt if she's completely sure no doubt whatsoever that she's the queen queen of my castle mm-hmm. she'll make sure i'm king mm-hmm. i agree you understand what i'm saying yeah. so i live by that but sometimes i mess up mm-hmm. sometimes i'll say things or do things that aren't right now you know thank god for ursula right because she has a different mindset and i've done stuff and i thought man you know i'll be sitting outside or doing something and she'll be like you know I, uh, you know, I shouldn't have said that. And I shouldn't have definitely shouldn't have said it like I said it. And I shouldn't have done what I done. And, you know, and then I'll go in the house and I'll say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You know, which is totally contrary to how I used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same I, here. <laughs> I, I, and, uh, and, 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 uh, she goes, oh, I knew you were coming in. I said, why? She goes, because as soon as you said it and you went outside, I went into the office and prayed. And I said, she says the same thing to God all the time. If I'm right, make me apologize. If he's wrong, make him apologize. If I'm wrong, make me apologize. If he's wrong, make him apologize. And it's happened on numerous occasions. I mean, I think the hardest thing in the relationship for me has been being vulnerable. Yeah. I'm not vulnerable. But that's the thing. Like, like, and I, you know, I, what I've discovered within myself in this 
walk. And especially in the last couple of years, it's been very much so like this. And it's what I thought was, you know, that's just it. Like I, you know, I'm 63, you're 61. We've been around the block. <clears throat> and I look, I walk into a gym now and I see guys. Now I'll go in there and I'm warming up. Maybe I'm doing arm curls with 20 pound dumbbells. I'm warming up. Okay. I'm not finishing with 20 pound dumbbells. I'm warming up with them. And you'll get some guy and he's, you know, you know, all puffed up and doing his thing. And then you get into your working sets and you're doing your stuff. And then all of a sudden dude's not, you know, doesn't have the same attitude. And, right. and I'm just using that as a, as an analogy that, you know, it's that idealism of, of youth where you think, you know, if ever you got in a gunfight, you'd just do this. And if you ever got in a fight, well, I just do this mm -hmm. until you get in a gunfight or you get shot at, or you get in a fight or something like that. And, and you get hammered a few times. Like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. right? Yeah. And then, and then you find out really what's there, you know, when you're up against something where, okay, I might lose this and I might just die. You know, and it's, you know, I got to get myself out of this and you do that and, and you know things about yourself that you couldn't possibly know. You'd like to think I would do this and this. Right. It's like you said, when you, when we talked about this, you started doing special forces. When you started selection, you said there was 46 of you finished and put on the green beret. All the way of, through the course. So. Out of 335. So there were 335, 85 of us got selected to go to the Q course and 46 of us graduated. The Q so course. you got to think of that group. There was almost 300 guys that thought for sure they had what it took. Oh yeah. And didn't. And they willfully. You not, know what I realized later? I, I realized later when I got on the 18 that I didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> really? You asked me what it was like when you got there, you know, after yeah. about a month of being around those guys have been doing it for years. Yeah. You know, no, I ain't got that. Really? Yeah, and then they bring you up. No kidding. Yeah. That's got to be something, being yeah, raised by guys like that. Yeah, that's, uh, you know. And that's just it. Like, you know, you like I've worked with some, not at that level, but on SWAT, I've worked with guys that were like, wow, I just admire that guy so much, and I wanted to be like him and, you know, work towards and learn from him and like that. I remember those times. And then now you see some dude that is just, making lots of noise, but you know that it's not there. Mm -hmm. And then there's that guy over there that's not making any noise, and you just know right. that that guy's capable. And so if I'm going to go into something, if there's going to, if somebody, you know, on the safety team at church, if somebody comes through the door with a gun, I know who I want there beside me, and I know who I want nowhere around mm -hmm. me. You know what I mean? And it's not always that guy that yeah. thinks he can do everything. It's the guy that knows what he can and can't do. You know, I stay away from a lot, all that stuff mm -hmm. intentionally. And the church first opened up, my wife and I were helping. I don't, did you, do you know that Ursula is pastor's aunt? Yes, okay, I did so know that, yeah. My wife, uh, I'm not the pastor's uncle. Right. Um, but we tried to help and everything and do the security stuff. And then Kevin came in and he did a great job taking over that kind of stuff. But yeah. I, I, you know, when it comes to all that kind of stuff, you know, I, uh, I have different interests, mm -hmm. different ideas. I know me, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm very much alpha, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I like having my own companies and stuff like that. Um, so it's, listen, man, there's a lot of guys out there that got a lot of talk, mm -hmm. you know, but the, that's all they got, hot yeah. air. And that's good. It's good that they think that, but mm -hmm. then if you do put it to the test, but you know, you see can, if you really do have it. 
don't talk about it. Go put it to the test. Yeah, you get yeah. Sign up. Yeah, sign up, man. Just go do <laughs> sign something. Up. Do something. Yeah. You know, you know, you know those, those are the guys that, you know, you stay away. I stay away from them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If a guy asks me too many questions, does too much. Like, I can feel, right? You can feel. You can look at a guy. You can talk. Yeah. I can talk to you. Yeah. You know, you and I can talk. We can talk at church. We can talk here. We can go have a cup of coffee talk. We would never talk in the gym because I don't gym. Right. Right. That's it. I don't gym, <laughs> you know. But, you know. Yeah. We, but there's other guys that have wanted to have these talks. I don't talk. Yeah. You know, we're not going to do it. Right. You know, because you don't understand. No. No, and it's like talking to one of my kids. Like yeah. they just don't, they, they don't, they don't get they it. never felt that, so they don't understand it. Right. Right. And, and you know, it's sometimes talking to my wife. You know, sometimes I can talk to my wife about stuff and she's there. Now, bless her heart, man. You know, she'll listen to me and she'll, she'll be there for me and everything. But, she doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. Yeah, and that's Anna too. I got she, I got with her the other day. I was telling you earlier. I, I before the show. I I, I was uh, uh, right before Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I said she said what's going on. I said well, I'm going home. And it was like it was before noon, and I told her I'm going home. And I went home and then I called her up. She said what's wrong. I said I'm just tired. Mm-hmm. Right. She said, tired? Well, you know, just go to bed early. And I said, no, no, not that kind of tired. I'm just tired. I'm tired. You know, I got two companies that we run. I got four kids, nine grandkids. You know, we're constantly doing stuff. Uh, you know, we live in Florida, so it's perpetual summer. Right. We don't get the four season or the two, two season change where everything slows down a little bit. And I said, I'm 61. I'm just getting tired. You know. You ever look back on all the stuff you've done in your life mm-hmm. and you just get exhausted thinking about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of like where I'm at, you know. There's, you, thing, there's things I'm doing now that I'm really excited about and then there's other things where I, I, I know exactly where you're at because I've been there more than once. Yeah, and isn't that funny how when you get to be our age, you yep. get excited about something? Yep. Uh, you know, I, Ursi and I uh, have been married for seven years. And I remember when we dated, I still got the butterflies in my stomach like I was a 12-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. You know? Couldn't wait to answer the phone when she called. We'd talk for hours about nothing. Same stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and and she still, I still get excited every time I see her, Yeah. every time I'm around her. But I think things, you know, like, you know, you're working on, you know, getting yourself up and running with the stuff that you're doing now and and. You know, I'm getting ready to go into another chapter. You know, I want to sell everything in a couple of years and retire from that and start a YouTube channel and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be good at it or not. You know, but we'll find out. There's always something else out there. Well, I think, I think, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but YouTube, you know, if you're, if you're genuine and you're, you're working within, if you're not trying to be somebody else, be yourself be genuine and just if you're interested in it you're going to find stuff to talk about and if you're interested somebody else is going to find you interesting there was this old dude that i used to follow and you watch this guy and it's almost laughable but the guy had like 150,000 subscribers and all he did is he rented out a couple houses and he was just this awkward like he really thought he was making in like a you know an academy award winning movie every time he did these things they were so bad <laughs> but you just love the guy because like you just like the guy because he was just being him and i would sit there and watch these stupid videos and i'd ask myself every time like why did i that's 
10 minutes of my life I'll never get back. But you can't stop watching. But you can't stop watching. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it was real. There was nothing contrived about it, you know? That's like sometimes I watch, uh, you're breezing through, you know, you get these shorts and stuff, you know, on the YouTube, you know, and I'm looking at these shorts. And and I was like, you know, I I see, there's this kid that pops up. He's always cooking spaghetti and stuff. He always pops up on these shorts. I don't know. I don't even know what his name is. But he just it, just to, just to look at him irritates me. Did yeah. I don't know if you've ever had yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I watch this kid, and I, I always think the same thing, man. You know, if, if man, <laughs> if you were here, I you, I'd slap you so hard you wouldn't <laughs> taste nothing for a month. You know, uh, <laughs> and you watch every one of his videos. Yeah, I watch all of his videos, man. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't help it. You know, it's, it's like, and now he's got his mom doing it with him, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it, it's it, even worse. It's like. <laughs> This is the society we live in today, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, it's, uh, you know, but I, I just. No, YouTube's a strange animal. I did the YouTube thing for a while and, and uh, I, you know, and Anna kept telling me, just be you, be you, be you. But I would watch other guys and try to, you know, trying to squeeze a formula out of this whole thing. And that was the mistake. Yeah. You know? I, you know, I'm just now learning about it, you know, doing my research. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife, you know, bless her, she. You know, and I've had a few other people, a couple of YouTubers yep. that said, you know, you're easy to talk to. Yeah, I think you'd so be great. You, you know, if you did this, you know, just just be yourself and figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do yep. now. And then, uh, I just, I, you know, I don't even, heck, I don't even know what the name of the show is going to be, you know. <laughs> well, when we, when we, when you get it figured out, we'll come back and do another podcast. All right. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah we can do that. We're going to have to wrap this up, man. This has been an hour already, but I could oh. talk to you all day, Jimmy. It's <laughs> been awesome. Jimmy Tunstall, my friend. Uh, I, I don't know contact information for Jimmy, but trust me, he'll be back. We'll be back on the show. Thanks for listening. Again, show's brought to you by Code4News.net and FirearmGuy.com. Get a hold of my buddy Aiden if you're looking for a gun. Take care. God bless. We'll be back in a couple days with another episode.